I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Harley Quinn. Gentlemen, my fellow whites, let's raise a glass to this pyramid of money, the foundation of which was built upon our favourite pastime. Fucking the poor! (laughs) Party's over, you pieces of shit! This is my money now, so back the fuck off! (laughs) Harley Quinn? I mean, you think we're afraid of the Joker's girlfriend? (laughs) So, as I was saying... You made a big mistake coming along. (laughs) She's not exactly alone. She brought a plus one. (laughs) It's me! Joker, apologies, but your friend Rupert just couldn't face coming out here. (laughs) I'm so sad. Where's my body? Couldn't? What the fuck are you doing? You're not supposed to take his face off yet. I had this covered. Yes, well, I I thought of that great plus one line, and then I'm not going to not puppeteer his face. (laughs) 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 All right, fine, do your thing. So listen up, motherfuckers. You better jump in the harbor right now, or I'm going to... That's because I forgot I had the acid bomb. But we agreed I'm the muscle. I do the hitting. You know, you're great. You're great. You do your thing. I do my thing. You're the appetizer. I'm the entree. I can't spend my whole life just bashing goons. When Gotham Knights hear the name Harley Quinn, I want them to piss themselves. I want a taste of that. You want a taste of... No, you know what I've meant. God, listen, Quentin, can't you see me in the Legion of Doom? That is just... (laughs) You don't want that. No, the the Legion of Doom doesn't give memberships to sidekicks. You have to be... Partners. Oh, fuck me. I want to be your partner in crime. For real. Can we talk about this later? If not, now when? I don't know. Tomorrow? I've kind of got my hands full right now. Jokes on you, Joker. Jesus, this guy. You'll never take us alive, bats. Love that fighting spirit, Harley. But in this fight, I'm afraid I have to take a dive. Uh, don't you mean we? You know I'd love to take you, Puddin, but I'd never deny you the pleasure <gasps> of buying me time to escape. Hey, hey but well, what if I get sent to Arkham? Then you won't spend even a single night. I'll break you out, my love. I swear. <laughs> Or actually, uh, I have something tonight, but I'll definitely get you out before breakfast. Love ya. Oh, ain't he cute when he's escaping? No. This show is about the 2019 animated series Harley Quinn, seasons one and two. Two, I believe three, should be out around about the time of this release. Since a large amount of you won't have seen these yet, we will be handling this podcast in two sessions. The sizzle reel first to explore the many strengths of this show, and then a spoiler section at the end with our response to things that are really our best left as surprises. And we will let you know in good time when we are transitioning from one to the other. I think, honestly, the spoiler stuff is actually going to be quite uh, relatively small because we we really want to discuss the detail and the depth on stuff 
and we don't want that to be a huge swathe of the show that you don't listen to. So really, it's it's just sort of telling you outcomes rather than actively spoiling anything. But either way, I'm gating it off in a separate section, and you can walk through those gates if you like. Um, I have a slight grammar correction. I can ignore it if you don't care. you got a grammar collection? Yeah. Cool. I've got loads. I was Um, It should be since a large number of you. A large amount of you implies that your head has seen it. (laughs) (laughs) You are technically correct. The best kind of correct. You're right. A large number of you. Sam Register was executive producer of Justice League Unlimited, and maybe that, in fact, might be the best of the DC Animated Universe shows. Also, he was exec producer of Batman the Brave and Bold, which this definitely feels like a filthy version of. Uh, even retaining Deirdrich Bader voicing Batman. Uh, he was also exec producer on Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, Green Lantern, the animated series, which we'll be talking about again soon. Beware the Batman, Thundercats 2011, remember that one? Justice League Action and DC Superhero Girls. Sam Register is accompanied in exec producing by Dean Laurie, Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher. Kaylee Kuko. I think I'm getting her name correctly there, who voices Harley, also exec produces. And I didn't know when I started watching that she made her name as the dim-witted yet very pretty Penny in that rotten misogynistic shitcom that so many people love, Big Bang Theory. So thank goodness she moved on and something really good came out of that wretched, creepy, regrettable cesspool that got 12 seasons and a spin-off. Not just Good. She is straight up amazing in this role, vying for prominence in my head as Harley's voice against the unforgettably classic Arlene Sorkin and Margot Robbie, the shining star of the, let's all face it, the patchy DC movies. But Kaylee is not alone. Lake Bell, whom you will have heard as Black Widow in What If, plays the absolutely definitive Poison Ivy, and she gets so much screen time and development and so much leeway for rich characterization that it is going to be almost impossible for a movie version to somehow match her, though I would love to see someone try, and I would love that someone to be played by Lake Bell. This show started out seeming like a foul-mouthed bastardization of the DC universe we know and occasionally love. Like some kind of family guy segue extended to a full 13-episode season. The trailer did not fill me with confidence. So, you know, I thought, hey, maybe you should join me and my crew. (laughs) Join you? I'm in the big leagues, mama. The L-O-D, the Legion of Doom. Hard pass. We cannot condone Dr. Psycho's use of the C-word, as it does not represent our brand of evil. We hereby banish him from the Legion of Doom, Legion of Doom Europe, and the Junior Doomers of America. Did I say hard pass? I meant soft accept. I want to join your crew. Not because I think working for a female will help rehabilitate my ruined image, blah, 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 blah. It's for other reasons. I don't hate women! Kinda seems like you do. Ooh, the salty language that comes out of your mouth. Well, I'm just glad my mama Jean ain't alive to hear it. Even hot southern bartender character thinks you're a piece of shit. But I believe in you, and I think you have a part to play. Did you say a part? Then you must also require the services of... 
don't. Oh, fuck, not again. An actor! You're damn right I do. Uh, it's Clayface. You, me, and Psycho. This is gonna be the start of something huge. So what's our first evil scheme? Is it a nuke in a volcano? That's an evil scheme. Ooh, a nuke in a honeypot heist where I seduced Gotham's mayor with my saucy Sheila character. How do you feel about petty personal vendettas? But the effect of actually sitting with it is quite different. It is hard to nail down the alchemy at work here. It feels like a cocktail of birds of prey and archer with a little sprinkle of Lego Batman in there and even a smattering of Spider-Verse, and I don't say that lightly, in terms of trusting its audience with shorthand in a way that a lot of DC movies don't, and a lot of Marvel movies don't. But while there's incredibly coarse language and sickeningly casual violence, it somehow nimbly dodges, feeling like it doesn't care about anything. Far from it. When these characters hurt, it can be heartbreaking. In unexpected fashion, focusing on Batman's rogues gallery the whole time winds up feeling like a greatly expanded and enriched extension of the Batman animated series episode Almost Got Him, where Joker, Penguin, Two-Face, Ivy, and Killer Croc gather at the criminals-only stacked deck club while passing the time with a game of cards, their conversation focusing on their mutual foe Batman, this is from Wikipedia, and they'd play poker and swap war stories of failing repeatedly to beat the bat. This episode, as we said in our Batman animated series show, humanizes the villains in a way that makes them far more, I can't believe I put the I word there, interesting. It gives them depth and makes them engaging. It sets up circumstances to be propitious for depth. It sets them up to feel far more human. So much is done in service of comedy in Harley Quinn that you might not realize how well and how consistently they are portraying these bad guys. It makes the original Suicide Squad from 2016, directed by David Ayer and Trailer Park, look like the shallow, dumb, hot topic, hocking hodgepodge that it was. But it's worth noting that I had seen all of the first two seasons of Harley Quinn, comprising 26 episodes prior to 2021's The Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn. So while everyone else was raving that they got it right this time, what I was seeing was a worrying casualty about pain and death that made it unpalatable in comparison to this and to Birds of Prey. What happens to Polka Dot Man at the end of The Suicide Squad would never happen in that way in Harley Quinn, unremarked upon. And I suspect it's because Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey are actively critical of Harley, even as she wins us over with charming anarchy. The Suicide Squad doesn't do that. Do you notice? Well, she's the hero. She's the hero, but we're never let into her world. We're just kind of watching her. Mm. And she kind of just is amazing. And that's it. Yeah. We get a little bit when she uh, kisses off the... Yeah. Handsome yeah. dictator. Yeah. Yeah. But that's about it. And I think I was just, I was so used to being let in on Harley that being shut out was jarring for me. And it didn't get less jarring seeing it a second time with you. Mm. So you've now seen that too. But yeah, in Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey, we stay close with her. She fucking narrates Birds of Prey. That's how important, like, that's why it was like Deadpool. We were there with her. She was there with us. And we get to see everyone's failings and weaknesses in a way that they care about. 
An easy comparison also between The Suicide Squad and Harley Quinn is King Shark, who was violent, bloody, and not especially likable analogue for Groot on film. Here, however, he is a big, goofy tech nerd who is gregarious, overly loquacious, and sensitive to the feelings of others, and also a prince of an underwater kingdom. But like Gunn's version, there's also a good chance he will rip you to shreds if he gets a whiff of blood. They retained that as well. So they just gave us so much more King Shark. This is King Shark. Howdy. Hacker extraordinaire and perhaps more pertinent social media maven. Uh, this giant terrifying half-man, half-shark is a computer whiz? I don't like to brag, but he took me from eight social media followers to eight. Teen! Bravo! I called him to solve our nemesis problem. Mm, I'm guessing you're the one having trouble finding a nemesis. Well, we put the profile up and we're not getting any bites. Is that a shark joke? If so, it's very funny. <laughs> now, Scooch, let me take a look at that profile. Hmm. Okay, now here's your first problem. You're not using any of the right keywords. I'll hack into the mainframe and get your feature. How long is this gonna take? There you go. Got your first match. Who the hell is Tommy tomorrow? He's got a personalized Rega. He says he's looking for something casual, someone to fight on the weekends. I am not settling for Tommy tomorrow. I want a nemesis up. You're not going to find any A-listers on here. There's no Batman. Or we get Batman. Batman, you have fought him countless times, and every time you end up at Arkham. I know another way, and by the end of it, Bats will be our nemesis. I don't know. Unlikely. Yes, 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 yes. And they did that in the space of just a few minutes. It's not like, oh, well, they had so much more running time. Just a bit of time can give so much more depth to a character. See, I'm, I'm not here to rag on the Suicide Squad. I'm just, I'm still baffled that everyone thought it was amazing. And in Harley Quinn, it is surprising how straight they play the heroes as well. When Batman makes an appearance, he is the guy that we know. They didn't take the bait of just doing Lego Batman or Pierre Holmes' Batman or the one from How It Should Have Ended. He is a rock that we can rely upon, but he's also kind of a dick in a way that still feels authentic, especially when viewed through the eyes of his villains. Wonder Woman may as well be the one from the classic Justice League animated series voiced by Susan Eisenberg, though Superman seems a little more chill and affable. I don't retract articles, and I'm definitely not writing a puff piece about... What was your headline? It's Harley Quinn, number one supervillain in the mini multiverses, still hasn't committed to a nemesis, much less Robin the Boy Wonder, or any nemesis that's boy or bird based. You can punch it up if you want. You're the writer. <laughs> Thanks. No. Okay, then I'm gonna have to kill ya. Okay. Go ahead. I need to remember to keep my mouth closed when I bust through walls. I've been telling you that. Holy shit, it's soups! King Shark, get the camera. Live stream me fighting Superman, my new nemesis. Okay, you're live. Hey, Superman, come get Lois Lane before I make her a deadline. That, that, made, that made sense, right? Is she mad about the paywall too? $7.99 is an ambitious price point, and it doesn't include the crossword, which is ridiculous. You gonna fight me or what? <laughs> Everybody duck. You were ill-advised to think you could get away from me, Harley Quinn. Aww. Oh, God! Again? <laughs> hey, sport. 
I fail to find the humor in this. No need to be nervous, kiddo. Just step into the box. You got this. You're embarrassing me in front of my nemesis. Actually, I'm not currently committed to anyone, but you know, soups, if you're a veil, I... Flattered, but I have a pretty full dance card. Leave us be, Boy Scout. I'm sure there's a cat up a tree somewhere. A cat up a tree? Isn't this just the cutest thing ever? Lois, you okay if the little guy takes it from here? Yeah, whatever. We still doing sushi tonight? You know how I roll. <laughs> Do me a favor. Can you untag me from this whole thing? You ready to do battle, Quinn? <sighs> Let's go. That's right. Run away. Fear me. Seemingly unafraid of anything on account of his invulnerability. He's just, he's very fine with everything. Which, again, makes him feel like he's just being filtered through the eyes of villains. Yeah. It's what everyone gets wrong when they, when they do that. You know, Superman's actually an asshole and a Nazi. It's like, you know, he's not actually evil just because he's always you know coming off like a boy scout he's just kind of annoying because everything seems to go his way from your perspective you're telling on yourself if you say that because it means you see superman the way lex sees superman yeah but ultimately if most of superman's villains could even vaguely fathom the amount of responsibility he confers upon himself and tries to somehow manage. And it's not like ultimate responsibility where he's flying around the world every second of the day. He knows he has to stop and be a human being or he'll completely disengage. But if they could comprehend that, it would break them. That literally happens at the end of All-Star Superman with Lex. It's really good. They can't grasp that because if they had that kind of power, they wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Or at least they think they wouldn't. They can't even begin to understand growing up with that kind of power and adapting yourself around it. So it's refreshing to see Superman as, I was going to say like Mr. Peanut Butter, but there's another character in this who is totally Mr. Peanut Butter. But it's the same effect of when Bojack is in the room and Mr. Peanut Butter turns up and goes, Is that Bojack Horseman? Oh, geez, here we go. Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack Horseman in the same room. What is is this a crossover episode? So when the Harley Quinn universe's version of the Justice League get trapped elsewhere for a long time period, their absence brings about sheer chaos in Gotham with this post-apocalyptic series of factions springing up and we see what Harley always wanted made reality. This happens nearer to the end of season one and it's as disorganized and aimless as you might imagine. You would also think with free reign to say whatever shocking shit they wanted, then the writing team would get swept up with shock value. But more often than not, the dialogue is revealing and often intimate. Alan Tudyk playing the lovably pretentious yet unfailingly enthusiastic theatre-trained actor Clayface... He also plays the Joker, and since the first arc of this show is Harley coming to terms with what a rat bastard that man is... It would have been so easy to make him utterly detestable, like flesh-crawlingly awful, the way that Jared Leto did. Mm. Like, you just, he's he's a tick. You want to remove him and toss him in the trash. But instead, Joker comes off as an uncaring, dismissive, and selfish douchebag, too wrapped up in his own plans to notice or factor in actively caring about Harley. But there is a distinction between that and just being unbearable. Mm. Well, there's, I would say in, in real life, if you translated those two versions to actual bad boyfriends, there's the, it's the difference between one that you actively have to remove, get away from, get a restraining order, whatever is necessary to make sure this person does not re-enter your life in any shape or form because he is potentially dangerous. And this one I could probably ignore with some effort. 
negligence versus abuse. Mm. Although he's also abusive to Harley, but it leans more on negligence in that he will dismiss her more than he will care about yeah. her. Yeah, he kind of... He almost seems to, at one point, forget about her in terms of the being abusive to her rather than the pursuing her in order to be abusive to her. There is no scene in the first two seasons where the Joker violently hurts her with sadism in mind in a way that's very upsetting. He pushes her out of things and forgets her and goes, ha, 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 and flies away, trusting her to come back to him. Yeah. The, the first episode... He abandons her and she's in Arkham going, my puddin' will rescue me. And then over the course of the next year, Ivy's like, he's not coming back for you. And Harley is like, no, 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 he will, he will. And it takes that long for her to, like, it's very significantly, she's in the Batman the Animated Series, Harley Quinn classic costume to begin with. She has to get herself out of that by the end of the first early arc. I think it's like the first episode or the first two episodes as she's redefining herself. This story seems to take a few leaves out of Stephen Sedgwick's exceptionally candid comic miniseries, Harleen, which reframes mad love in an adult context. And the show illustrates how much of herself she is devoted to this entertaining scumbag, and it's in a way that won't be easy to shake off. It's, it's not like she's just over him. This, like, there is a long road for Harley. Batman the Animated Series always infuriated me by having her reset to gullibly swooning over my abusive pudding at the end of every episode that she was featured in, no matter how cruelly he treated her. This, like Birds of Prey, focuses on life after Joker. And unlike the classic Batman show or any of the movies, Ivy not only gets to be a key figure in her life, but has her own messy internal situation to deal with that may in fact be even harder to break free of. Pamela Isley often comes off like the only grown-up in a room full of emotionally underdeveloped kids playing criminal dress-up, but she is no less stuck in a behavioral loop than them. She may kill cops messily with her horrifying plant powers, but she doesn't define herself as a supervillain or even an eco-terrorist, because terrorists never would. Instead, she's the woman who was absolutely correct about how we were fucking the planet in the 90s and is even more correct today. Part of her journey is about reconnecting with humanity after seemingly a very long time in mascara-streaked loneliness that a lot of us can relate to. Everyone's favorite Dean, Jim Rash, plays Riddler in a sly, suggestive, energetic way that Paul Dano, that putz, would wish. He puts Joker in the same position as Bruce in Batman Forever in an early episode, forced to choose between Harley and Batman, up, up like suspended above those acid pits, his lover and partner in crime, or his arch nemesis. It doesn't even take Joker much thought to choose the caped crusader. The fact that the boiling acid that Harley then gets dumped into is actually only bulk-bought margarita mix is what makes this carefully arranged test by Pamela both non-lethal and entirely revealing. It'll be this, you two. What is cold but still burns? What will eat you if you drink it? What? Acid. It's acid. I am not done. What is... Wait. Did I say the thing about cold but still burns? Yes. Right. No. Because it's acid. No. Okay, it's acid. I'm dropping you in a pool of acid. You're making a big mistake, because when my man hears about this, he's going to come running. Precisely what I'm counting on. 
Choose one to live and one to die. And in the acid, the loser will fry. Is it the good kind of acid that gives you superpowers? No. Oh. Joe's! Go ahead, tell him, Mr. J. Deep fry that back. Yes, well, yes, yes. It would seem an easy choice, Harley, but... <laughs> <laughs> Even for you, that's a lot of maniacal giggling. Sorry, my little strung-up pheasant, but I couldn't possibly let this punctuation prick hey. get credit for killing Batman. Now could I? Free the bats! Drop the broad! <laughs> Joker never loved me. He only loves Batman. <gasps> Ivy! You saved me from the acid. It's actually just margarita mix. It's still kind of stingy. Okay, I did my part. So we're square for you breaking me out of Arkham. But his, his part? What's he talking about? So don't go all Harley on me, okay? But I did set this whole thing up. I've been telling you forever that the Joker's no good for you, but it seemed like such a hard concept for you to understand. So I decided to let you see it for yourself. Ugh, I just want to crawl back into that acid and die. Again, it's, it's margarita mix, so that doesn't apply. But look, chin up. You know, you, you still got me, and I care about you so much that I spent my entire Saturday setting up something this fucking stupid. That's true. I bet it wasn't easy. Ugh, you know, the biggest pain in the ass was just finding 150 gallons of this shit. I told you to get a Costco car. And I told you I only go there once a year, so it doesn't pay for itself, Chief. After several cathartic escapades like this, Harley sets herself up in the beginning of the first season as a new aspiring crime boss of Gotham, holding up in an abandoned and shopping mall, which by the way is perfect. It's kind of this this emblem of the 90s. And there's a point where Darkseid walks in at the end and goes, who was this orange Julius? And she beats the shit out of Joker's goons and she sets out to do things her own way. Yet, at the same time, aspiring to be picked for membership in Lex Luthor's swanky Legion of Doom. Lex is played with smoothness to rival Clancy Brown by Giancarlo Esposito in a way that I would love to see replicated in live action. Meanwhile, her new and awkwardly placed best friend, Ive, begins a relationship with the unflappable Mr. Peanut Butter-esque, that's the one, Kite Man, an oblivious but pleasant himbo with a vastly inflated idea of how impressive having a pop-out kite-shaped wingsuit is. My love potion? I stole your juice and I gave it to these kids. Hell yeah! You're an idiot. Ooh, you mispronounced genius. No, that potion makes people fall in love with me and then kills them. What? Yes, what did you think, you kite-fucking freak? My name is Poison Ivy. Damn. See, this is why I stick to the kites. So simple. We gotta get an antidote before these kids die. It's in my apartment across town, so we need to get there quick. Quick as a kite? Oh, God. Weather permitting. Fine, hit the button. So, um, obviously I misread some signals. Mm -hmm. I hope me taking off my clothes didn't come across as... Creepy? It did. It did indeed. Right. Yeah. No, I apologize. It's just, I've never been alone with a woman of your... Caliber. Oh, you don't have to. Your eyes, your smile, your silky, shimmering. Oh God. You know what? Strong woman, osity. The. It, I'm gonna be quiet for a while. You know, 
It is kind of cool seeing the park from the sky. I mean, I mean, when you're not talking and we're just kind of soaring majestically, you're not so bad. Hell yeah. And to begin with, I was like, Ive, you're fooling yourself, trying to be straight. What are you doing with this guy? Like, she, And it took me a while to realize, oh, she hasn't even really thought about herself in those ways. She's kind of followed a, okay, so what do people do when they're being people? I guess girls date boys, huh? So this guy seems fine. Commissioner Jim Gordon is off model in a sympathetic light this time as a desperate, alcoholic, lonely wreck unaware that his daughter Barbara is moonlighting as Batgirl. They play him kind of for comedy, but again, like I say, he he's not the together guy that we've always seen. He's a guy who hasn't been able to keep Gotham under control, and now it's just... I think it's we're seeing a Jim Gordon going, Oh, God, everything's going wrong! And he's also feeling his age. Robin makes an appearance played by talented good boy kid actor Jacob Tremblay, a comic-accurate Two-Face and Penguin of vying for power, and the Tom Hardy-style Bane has many helpful ideas about how best to conduct one's reign of mayhem. I love it. I love it so much. Wanda Sykes plays the amusingly book-bound, smoking, and then utterly horrific mass murderer, the Queen of Fable. She keeps it personable, but so dangerous. Maxie Zeus naturally gravitates to the kind of shithead pickup artist, motivational speaker, to angry men's rights activists that feels like a depressing natural fit for someone with his ego and errant penis. It's continuously relieving and reassuring to see this majority male writing team continuously come out as sympathetic on the side of women struggling daily and nightly with dickhead men, the glass ceiling, and being repeatedly underestimated, sidelined, and patronized their whole lives. There's like one woman on a uh, five-person writing team. Alfred Molina embodies Mr. Freeze in an episode that rivals Heart of Ice in terms of monumental Mr. Freeze appearances. I think it's his only significant one in the whole two seasons so far, making the ultimate sacrifice for Nora Freeze to bring her back to the world, a loss that devastates his formerly permanently frozen wife. It is doubly notable that Alfred Molina's Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2 was motivated by grief over his wife's death and that Nora wears the same black headband as Gwen Stacy from the comics who spent decades as an immaculate corpse until she became Spider-Gwen and got new lease of, literally, new lease of life through the multiverse. So Nora here being set free to live her life in exchange for Victor's feels like a genuinely emotional release of decades. Harley's gang, as well as King Shark and Clayface, also includes Ivy's exuberant and uncompromising giant Venus flytrap Frank and the diminutive, woman-hating little shit Dr. Psycho, who is now persona non grata with everyone after calling first Wonder Woman and then his ex, Giganta, the C-word on public television. He's played by Tony Hale, who is Buster Bluth from Arrested Development. They are frequently assisted by Harley's wheelchair-riding, robot-limbed, retired spy landlord, Cy Borgman, and I only just caught that, <laughs> played in lovable, nebbish fashion by Jason Alexander. He provides her with something she clearly needs, a father figure who won't treat her like shit. 
Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. I'm Lex Luthor, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about the Legion of Doom. The LOD is a supportive community of elite supervillains dedicated to making the world a worse place. We've been behind some of the most evil plots of the 21st century. Hey, that's you! What did you say to Black Manta to elicit such rage? Nothing racist. Guys, pull it together. We are about to join the Legion of Doom. Okay, look, I know the last time we talked was shitty, but, you know, I feel like maybe we have an opportunity to start over here. Mm. Okay, we, we can build off, hmm. I also, obviously, would like to apologize for saying you're jealous of me and that you got no friends and that- I, Thank you, I remember what you said. I know you were just trying to protect me, and listen, I'm gonna do the same for you, okay? Just because I'm a card-carrying member of the Legion of Doom now- Fuck that place in the ass. Yes. For sure. Although, listen, I am working there and I hope it doesn't affect our friendship. I would be dead without you. Like, a lot. I do not disagree with that. I mean, I'm glad you're not dead, but I don't know. It just, it felt like you were so ready to abandon me. I would never do that. I will always be there for you. I will always smash things you might need smashed, I've. Wait. I know that look. Is there something you need smashed? Come on, I, there's gotta be something you need smashed. There is, there is something actually I've been working on. I knew it, you're gonna do something evil. That is great. Yeah, you know, I mean, if we're still categorizing fighting to protect the environment as evil, then sure. So Sharon, you wanted to look at Harley's interactions with her crew and of the Legion of Doom and examine how those differ from her noxious, violent relationship with Joker, because as you've said, this is a key measure of her progress as a person. Yeah, so the the shift from how Harley is with Joker in the beginning, she's dependent, codependent, some may say, and like you said about where the, the bit where she's in Arkham waiting for him to rescue her, she is devoted to the idea that he loves her as much as she loves him and will go out of his way to look after her. A, a wish and a fervent prayer that is never answered. The shift that takes place as she starts to come around to the idea that she's going to have to start acting in her own behalf because Joker is not going to do it for her is impacted by the ways that she relates to the people around her. So the, the key one, obviously, is Ivy, which we'll, we'll talk about in far more depth in a bit. But the the fact that Ivy is constantly urging her on to be her own person is really key. When she is around Ivy, that response is magnified in her. Her relationship with Clayface and Dr. Psycho is kind of professional, but there's, there is an equality there in how she relates to them. She doesn't let them manipulate her into, into doing stuff. Which is noteworthy since Dr. Psycho's literal power is making is, you do things. Exactly, yeah. He's like He's, the purple man. Yeah, but, but... She lets him off with so much. She like, really does, but the fact that he is set up initially as somebody who goes out of his way to try and manipulate and dominate specifically women, but is never quite able to do that with Harley, again is significant 
significant because even if all she's doing with him is resisting him, she is resisting him. So that kind of gives this sense that her her relationship with Joker is not simply to do with how she relates to men. I mean, Clayface is just a big softy, so that literally. <laughs> <laughs> I Sorry. just got that. <laughs> Clayface so, is a joy from start to finish. He really is. But but he's, again, the subtext here is not exactly sub. He's malleable. He's malleable. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of gives her a reflection of how she has distorted herself in order to be what she thinks Joker wants. It's not even what Joker really wants. It's just what she thinks he mm. wants. And... The, the telling part for me, and there's two particularly brilliant episodes in the first season that I enjoyed immensely. One of them is where they go into Harley's mm-hmm. psyche. I have that written down and, as a key one. Uh, have to, she has to work through some shit literally inside her own head, mm. which obviously for me is brilliant. But the other one is when she goes back home yeah. and you see how she relates to her family and in particular her father. And that gives a lot of insight into where her dynamic with the Joker comes from and how unhealthy that is. And that is accentuated by the fact that her desperation to be part of the Legion of Doom, and in particular how she turns into this um, uh, mouldable little girl again around Mm. Lex, emphasises that there is something about Harley that is desperate for external validation from authority figures. People that she can relate to on an equal level are slightly different. The the dynamic with Ivy is something that goes completely outside of that, and that's why it's one of the most interesting elements of the season, even before uh, their relationship starts to become something else, because it's showing her what she can be if she starts driving, rather than going, okay, what do these daddy people want from me, and how can I be that? And the fact that we get all of these pieces throughout the season, throughout the series as a whole that we can fit together and see exactly where that comes from, to me, is brilliant. Because when you can see where complexes and neuroses in you originated and what fed into them, that gives you an opportunity to decide whether you want to change them. And if you do, look at what you might do to start rearranging those pieces and putting them together in a different way. If you don't know the roots and you don't know who has kind of pruned you to be that way, Mm. then you have a reduced potential to be able to go, I don't have to be like that because you pin it on yourself. You feel like, well, that's just me and therefore I can't change that. If you can see clearly... You have to go back and examine the fingerprints. Exactly. If you can see clearly that 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 originated outside of you, it makes it that much easier to let go of and leave behind. Hmm. There is a really key moment where she revisits the... Uh, it's, it's, again, this is an early on episode. She revisits the famous scene where Joker pushes her into the uh, acid and she has misremembered that moment. She actually did it voluntarily for him and it, it makes her see her own compliance with this shaping of her. But rather than that making her despairing, it also makes her see the, her own capacity for agency. Yeah. And there is a later scene much later in the series, where she... 
this scene is addressed again in a different, in a different way. way. Shall we just say that, yeah. folks? <laughs> I didn't want to give away too much. Yeah, that is one to actually hold back on. Yeah, yeah. But it is a really important marker of how far she's come and what she is now confident in her own ability to deal with. It's used at the beginning as this is Harley Quinn's origin and she puts it to one side and goes, no, 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 no. I am going to make my own origin now. Mm. Yeah. And it's full of mistakes. It's full of missteps. She keeps backsliding annoyingly in a way that feels natural and real, rather than just magically at the end of the movie, I'm going to be okay. Not that that's how Birds of Prey happens. Birds of Prey is also full of mistakes. I really wanted to see that Harley continue, but yeah, yeah. probably not. But there is a difference between backsliding on the, the way to progress and uh, simply abandoning any progress that a character has already made. Yeah. Which we have seen of late. I did not like it. I know the one you're talking about. Yep. But that was way in the past for our listeners. Multiverse <coughs> of madness. Um, so <laughs> Joker himself gets to have a little bit of... Uh, progress in this that's unusual mm. that's very unusual i don't think i've ever seen the joker wrong-footed like occasionally he'll go oh oh that's so interesting that you did that mm. but he won't go oh i think that's one of the reasons why people love the killing joke so much because even though it's fucking horrible uh, it does wrong it has, for the Joker. It has moments of introspection from him. It, whether we get to see what's going on in his head or not, we do at least get to see that something is going on in his head. It's one of the reasons why I didn't like the uh, uh, the Joker film. Because it's the opposite of that. Yeah. It's a dude it's turning into a guy who's, who's so convinced that he knows the world works exactly. this way. And exactly. it's like, well, that's boring. This is what pisses me off about the reason, about the, the way that filmmakers keep going back to the Joker. I wouldn't mind if they were going back to the Joker in order to... The finger thing means the money. I know. It's a billion dollars every time. And I mean, you could say the same thing about Batman, that that they were going back to him in a way to... to My parents are dead! the, ...the core of the character and look at other ways that he as a person might respond to the things he does and the way he presents himself. But it's not. It's literally just to say, how would a different actor reinterpret this exact same thing? It's the same fucking thing... Over and over and over again. So we're talking about the Batman here. We're talking, frankly, I'm talking about Joker and Batman. Yes, they are played differently by the actors who play them, but it is the same character who is being interpreted. We're not seeing anything different in the character in how the characters relate to their place in the world. Turns out that multiple choice is just mild variation. Circumstantial variation, Mm -hmm. but mild. Lego Batman being the one exception. Yeah. Because there you get both Batman and Joker introspecting about who they are and how they relate to each other. There's a reason why it's my favourite Batman film. Mm. However, there is a scene where Joker pushes Harley out of a helicopter in order to distract Batman and make his escape. This is relatively early on. And it is mirrored in the introduction to Birds of Prey, which was also animated. That makes me even more certain that in some early abandoned cut they shot of the 2016 Suicide Squad before they tried to reorganize these two as a fucked up aspirational abusive romance that Jared Leto's Joker did indeed push Margot Robbie's Harley 
out of that helicopter. I didn't just imagine the implications. When I was looking back on it, I was like, I'm sure I saw him do that. Yeah. And the final re-edit in both theatrical and extended versions clumsily covers that up as some kind of accident. But this push is absolutely key in both universes, in both the DCAU for Margot Robbie and Kaylee Cuco in Harley Quinn. It is so important that Joker pushes her because she then has to decide. Because like they, 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 they create, like, Birds of Prey, she's reacting as though what we saw in Suicide Squad was what was originally intended because they had to effectively frame and film and animate a sequence where this happened, even though it didn't happen on film, just to sort of set things straight and go, you know what, this guy's a fucking scumbag. And the end of Suicide Squad, where her puddin' turns up after killing all the uh, prison guards, and she goes, my puddin', and I just went, ugh, and left the cinema. That really needs to be addressed. It needed a birds of prey to set it right. But we never got to see Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn punch the taste out of Jared Leto's face. Warner Brothers, why has this not yet happened? Oh my God, I want it so much. Oh my God, you know when you, you say the thing and then you realize you want to see it? Oh my God, it's like a kink. It's like suddenly thinking about something and you go, oh, oh say. Suddenly, my kink is Margot Robbie kicking the shit out of Jared Leto. Make it happen, folks. Anyway. But we can talk about father figures as well. She gets entwined with a variety of them. Most of them are kind of bad for her. There is Joker, Lex, her actual father, Jim Gordon, surprisingly Batman, Darkseid himself, and then Psy. Mm -hmm. And, as you say, most of them are bad for her. Batman and Psy, I would say, are the two most successful interactions. There's a bit where she literally falls into the Batcave and ends up hanging on a stalagmite. Uh, hanging on a... St tights go down. Hanging on a stalagmite. <laughs> hanging on a stalactite. Uh, and it's like, it sort of hooks her uh, short shorts and her butt's kind of hanging out. And she's sort of like, hey, it's very undignified. And Batman doesn't turn around and doesn't embarrass her, but he does talk to her. Yeah. And it's a nice little candid moment between the two of them. It's also echoed when she falls off the, I, I think it's a copter uh, with Joker and lands on the, the Batwing. The Batwing. Yeah. And she's like spread eagled over the windscreen. Her crotch is directly over Batman's face. And again, Say. they have a conversation. It's a little undignified, but this is what they keep oh, no, so, uh, we, we found out around about this time that Batman, Batman doesn't. Batman doesn't do that. I don't think, well, maybe this, this Batman, Batman doesn't. might. I don't know. He didn't seem to snare and keep Catwoman. Catwoman yeah, in this cannot be asked. She is literally a cat. Yeah. She is a woman who's super sexy. She will hang out with you for a bit, but then she's got her own stuff to do and she is very disinterested in yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The way she interacts with Batman, it's it's very light touch. Like he'll he'll be sort of supportive 
and sort of encouraging. Obviously, his ultimate goal is for her to go straight. No pun intended. Um, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, but he he doesn't sort of get deeply involved with her stuff. He's there and she can lean on him occasionally, but she can't get like elbow deep reliant on him. There's so much queer coding in this, just to, to hook on the whole go straight thing. Mm. When she says near the end, and this is kind of implied in the entire narrative of the show and it's just that she finally says it out loud I don't think I'm a super villain either I don't even know what I am mm. there's so much queer coding in there yeah. for like you know there's all kinds of things you can be that are not simply prescribed by the job you got but it leans into the fluidity of it rather than saying here is a set of pre-prescribed labels you may pick one at birth yeah. if you're very very lucky when you hit puberty you can argue your case to be allowed to pick another one yeah. but that's it and then once you have that one you're stuck with that one you can't change it again mm. which is like the total antithesis of everything I believe <laughs> I suppose Deadpool is similar in the way he's like you know I don't quite know what I am but I know for shit's sake I am not an X-Man mm, indeed but although that does bring me back to a quote I heard on a podcast the other day which is okay this is a unicorn it is not a horse that doesn't like labels <laughs> And since the X-Men, by the way, uh, these days could be read as a, a metaphor for uh, uh, the queer community kind of ostracized from the rest of society, if you're not even in that community, mm -hmm. you're super queer at this yeah, point. Ultra indeed. queer. This is why we freak out like people who like things to be the way they've always been. Because this is how the whole structure gets reshaped and undermined to the point where people can mould their own future. I we don't want that. <laughs> I occupy a place on the spectrum called Beyond Gay. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Father figures, that's the one. Yes. So, okay, so so Batman has the potential to give her a uh, an example of a good father figure, but one who does not get deeply involved with what she's doing. And that is good because she needs to be able to sort things out for herself. Sai is actively caring and supportive, but does not direct her. He doesn't tell her mm. what to do. He's a landlord and he knows, uh, he, yeah. he, he never tries to be more than that, but sort of ends up with an avuncular or great avuncular, is such a thing possible? Yes, uh, yeah. although the other, <laughs> the only other great uncle I can think of is Grunkle Stan and he does not have that. <laughs> a gruncular. <laughs> A gruncular air about him that allows him to sort of take a light touch in, in what exactly, she's doing. You're yeah. right, he doesn't direct it's her. The, he does occasionally nudge simple. her in a yeah. way. And he's clearly done terrible things in his life, but he's sort of found a place where he's content. Yeah. And it feels like there is a possibility she could maybe reach that for herself at absolutely, some point. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's the difference between uh, I will hold you from above and tell you what to do mm. and I will be you do you and I will be down here ready to catch you if you fall whereas Lex comes across less as a dad and more just this really slick impressive boss yeah. that you really want to impress yeah. and he's but unflappable that's... and it's like oh god I fucked up in front of him absolutely but it is worth bearing in mind and I speak from personal experience here that that kind of boss is echoing that kind of father relationship yeah and Darkseid 
is almost like that, but like he's this huge terrifying boss who for some reason seems to really like her. Maybe not like her, but approve of her. He's like, mm. well, you're pure evil and totally fucking crazy. Yeah. And he gives her immense power almost immediately and she has to work out for herself, ooh, actually, no, I don't want don't to invade the whole that. world with parademons. Yeah. They're called parademons. Read a comic book. Mm, indeed. This is this kind of encapsulates a lot of people's negative feelings about our Batman v Superman episode. <clears throat> They're called parademons. <laughs> spoiler alert, this does not happen, but Superman fights Darkseid. Spoiler alert, this does not happen. Wait, you You're spoiler me- something doesn't happen? <laughs> no, like, yes, dark, Superman fights Darkseid. Superman fights fucking Bibbo sometimes. Superman fights Metallo. None of these things matter because it's not in the movie. <laughs> also, the flying peeps are parademons. You make me sick calling yourselves comic book fans. You make me sick. This movie is made of nonsense and held together by bubble gums of bullshit. So shut up. But in between these is Gordon. And the way... I mean, Harley doesn't really have so much a relationship with him. They only interact a few times. But what I think about what he says about this sort of this uh, paternal dynamic that she's testing and re-establishing with various different people mm. and it, it's not it's not just a like obviously it's building up from her relationship with her actual father but it ultimately comes down to her relationship with authority and and the uh, the paternal patriarchal structure that that represents But with Gordon, she gets to observe from a distance him being a pretty shit dad. Um, On balance, if we compare Gordon to her actual father, what we see in that episode, it goes from being, oh, I'm uncomfortable with my parents to being, you know what, that discomfort with my parents is totally valid. I need to cut these people out of my life. They're terrible. Mm, Indeed. Her, her, the fact that her father keeps using her. Yeah. He's very much a kind of, uh, uh, what use are you to me? Which mm. is obviously a recurring theme throughout these guys. Whereas Jim Gordon is kind of just not there and not paying attention to Barbara. But unlike the Joker, he means well. Not as bad as Joker. He means well to Barbara. Yeah. And he means well to Gotham. Yeah, yeah. But I think the uh, okay, so the what I think I mean Joker is Joker never means well. The that's a fair point. The the defining Joker means unwell. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Uh, the defining element of Gordon's relationship with Barbara is that he he never twigs that she's Batgirl. Yeah. He never grasps it's, that his daughter could be capable of anything beyond this preset idea that he has of her. It's it's kind of uh, poking fun a little bit at the uh, uh, Gordon uh, Barbara relationship from Batman the Animated Series, though that one did at least have a nice conclusion where Barbara's all geared up to tell him, and he's like, "You don't need to tell me anything." Mm. In a kind of a, as long as we don't say it, we don't have to deal with it yeah. way. Yeah. Which at the same time is almost like trying to come out to your father, and he's like, like "You don't need you to just, t- just don't to tell me. It. I know there's something going on. It's none of my business. It's fine. If it's you want to bring your friend round for dinner, then that's fine." Yeah. Whereas this, I think, goes a bit further than that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. I shall. I shall rephrase. He's not a shit dad, but he is a naff dad. Naff. It's a word Americans should use. Naff. 
Yeah. It means a it bit means rubbish. A bit crap. Uh, a bit crap. Yeah. Yeah. But not so if crap that if it's cost- really worth calling it crap. If your costume for Halloween is naff, it could be better. But it's not terrible. Yeah. I have to assume that the reason this one was a reject costume is because it's Plo Koon. And if you're like, I don't know who Plo Koon is, explain. Like, that's my point. You don't know who Plo Koon is. I've never met a child that's like, my favorite Star Wars character is Plo Koon. I feel like this is like a kid sent their mom out to get the Anakin or the Obi-Wan and they were all sold out and she comes home like, it's Star Wars and it's like, thanks. And that little boy whom nobody liked grew up to be Dave Filoni. Wow! It's a bit naff is what I'm saying. (laughs) Moving on. Harley also starts off being fairly desperate for a nemesis, and they have to be high profile, because in this, DC's villains seem to measure themselves, and everyone's neurotic, and they measure themselves and their achievements by their big theatrical crimes. They're always trying to one-up each other and themselves, and... Honestly, this is almost them addressing the whole shock value side of thing because the villains are trying to do the shock value and the perspective of the writing team is that's a bit neurotic. Which I really like as a spin on the whole, like trying to one up each, like the murder of the week uh, serial killer uh, TV shows where, you know, everything has to be more grisly, more exotic. And oh, hey, we got mushrooms to grow out of this girl. Isn't doesn't that chill you to your bones? I don't know. I think next week there'll be something even more gruesome. Yeah. And, but also the, isn't this serial killer intriguing? Isn't he slick? Isn't he cool? Isn't it baffling how he manages to convince everybody that he's normal? Well, no, he just seems a bit neurotic, yeah. really, and stuck in his own repetitive loop. But they measure themselves in their big theatrical crimes and which superhero they piss off enough to get the full attention of. And Harley gets lumbered with Robin and becomes kind of a laughing stock because everyone's like, this teen, he's a boy! And it's the, I think, it's the Damian Wayne Robin. So uh, he's uh, the literal son of Batman, which feels like even more of an indignity. to capture the attention of his own father. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one episode, and it's really neat. But it's, like, that's, it's, that's kind of emblematic of everyone in Gotham is trying too hard. Mm. And they might find that if they didn't do this stuff, quite so much, they'd be a bit happier. Yeah. And also this constant fight between the heroes and the villains is what makes Gordon and his police team feel quite so impotent. And I already did this gag, by the way, back in 2013 when my version of Catwoman says... Batboy? The knight in whining armour? Well, he's going to have to work harder on that whole imposing routine... Right now, I doubt he could browbeat Harley. Because that's the comparison. It's like, okay, so when when your Robin grows up and can be Nightwing and say, fuck Batman, then he's a nemesis. <sighs> anyway, one of the core themes appears to be repairing oneself and one's adult adult relationships through self-exploration, often pretty harshly and painfully. This is more the province of Frasier than something like Family Guy or I think I, I, I'm an outsider but it just feels like Rick and Morty is still not going anywhere particularly profound which is ironic since they've gone so big 
It's almost like they've gone too big and they can't really bring it back to the personal. I'd like to see Harmon try. But that's, there's a comparison there between those two shows because I'm sure, I'm sure there's stuff going on with the characters in Rick and Morty as they get older and more complex. I don't know. But with Harley Quinn... Everyone seems more sympathetic and human. And there, there, are, like, there are a couple of deaths where it's like, oh, shit, this character died. And it's not really kind of a throwaway thing, but they usually tend to be characters who are pretty key to the, the DC universe, but no one particularly liked them. Mm. So it actually doesn't feel like a big deal. Yeah. Whereas with Polka Dot Man, for example... Everyone liked Polka Dot Man, especially the audience. I think the way that it gets there, and it gets there fast, is that because Harley was originally created to be a, a, a being of chaos, yeah. or at least representative of chaos, and allied with Well, chaos, originally she was there as a toy for the Joker. Yeah, indeed. So that he could talk to someone and not frighten the kids. Well, there is that. A Harlequin's role is to serve. An audience, a master. You know, Harlequin's nothing without a master. And no one gives two fucks who we are beyond that. But the. Luckily, Mark Hamill's Joker never frightened the kids. Mm. But her, <laughs> her Harlequin. Uh, costume, the whole, you know, the black and red, the good presentations of Harley that we have really leaned into, take that chaos as a starting point and then work and build away from it. And this does the same thing. It Side leaps note. into the... Sorry, I, I kicked the shit out of Injustice for its, uh, uh, like, bad supermaning again. Uh, but... Even the Injustice game from the people who made Mortal Kombat has Harley have to beat the shit out of a phantom version of Joker in her mind so that she can get past mm. this in story mode. Yeah, but when the story leaps into that kind of chaotic existentialism early and has the characters come to the conclusion that actually once you're here, this is really unsatisfying. What else is there? What do I do next? Now that I've got the thing I thought I wanted, what do I do next? That is the epitome of an adult dilemma. The coming-of-age story is, this is where I want to be, that is who I want to shape myself into, how do I get from here, spotty little teenager, to over there, an adult who who appears to know that the world is this and has their shit together. Being an adult, looking around at the world and going, I still can't make any sense of this. And what do I what do I do now? Now that I have achieved this pinnacle of the thing I thought I wanted when I was a spotty teenager. I have a question here that's fairly going to have a fairly short answer. Mm -hmm. But like when you see the episode, you're like, fuck, what, why? Why is it important that the Queen of Fable, played by Wanda Sykes, be so utterly atrocious as a person? Because... She slaughters a wedding party offhand and then goes, no, it's nothing. And Harley is horrified. She is a cautionary tale. She is the fairy tale of what you might end up as if you really do let go of all of your uh, ethics and... Um, 
connections yeah. to people. And it's really, it's weirdly disarming uh, to, when, when she talks, like as soon as she gets out of the book she's trapped in, she's like, I'm going to go get my fuck on. And you're like, yay! Like she's been, you like Harley are like, this woman has been sentenced way disproportionately hmm. to oh, yeah. life inside this tax book. Yeah, you're very sympathetic to her initially. And then when you start to see what an absolutely abhorrent sociopath she is and how she's almost gleeful in her not giving a shit. It's the bright line that Harley never thought she'd have mm. where she's like, that is too much, man. Just like, I, 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 I kind of, I don't want to be a hero, but definitely not this. And it's, it's, it's a neat moment that sort of happens maybe two thirds of the way through season one where we start to realize that Harley is definitely, like when you say villain, that actually describes a whole bunch, a whole gamut, a whole spectrum, if you will, if we're going to use this as a metaphor for queerness, which I think this show actually stands up quite well to, mm. of, like, that could mean a thousand different things. Mm. But Harley should get to choose it for herself. Yeah. 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 And it is also important that the Queen of Fable and the, the character that they choose to set that bright line be a woman, because... Otherwise, you're simply subjecting Harley to more male-dominated, authoritative parameters. Yeah, yeah. If it had been, for example, Dr. Psycho suddenly turns really terrible and starts just massacring mm. Gothamites, yeah. that would be more about, why did you let this monster into your life Absolutely, again? yeah. That doesn't really provide us with the cautionary tale. All the red flags we already, were there. We already knew Dr. Psycho was awful. Well, you know, who would notice a red flag around this place? Mm. <clears throat> right. Now, this one could expand us all the way into spoiler territory. So we're going to talk about her as much as we can, and then we're going to move into... Endgame material, at least for season two, which actually ends in a way that if there was no more Harley Quinn would kind of have still been fantastic. Even though it also pissed me off. More on that in a bit. What is Pamela Isley dealing with? She seems to be more together than Harley by far, but as I said, she is in deeper. So what is it? Okay. So part of why I think she seems to be more together than Harley is actually connected to one of the biggest things that she is struggling with, which is that Harley's chaos and the things that she has to work on are all to do with her interactions with other people. Ivy seems to have dealt with this potential problem by cutting herself off from everybody. She lives with Frank, but Frank is a plant. He may be a plant, but he's also just a roommate mm. who tells it like it is. Yeah, yeah, there is that. What are you doing? Logging into Joker's calendar. Oh, God, we're off the rails. No, let it play out. Oh, wait, there's a party at the Gotham Mint with the Legion of Doom guys tomorrow. Oh, if he wants to fuck with me in public, I will fuck right back. Please do not do this. Please do that shit. Joker stole it because he had a crew. Like all real supervillains. I mean, I get by just fine on my own, so. <coughs> Your independence is quite inspiring. Oh, can it, Frank? I love you, Ivy! You know, I've, there's nothing we can't do if we team up. I said no. I mean, I, I got a brand, you know? It's like adding gymnastics to it. It's all of a sudden, it's, it's a very muddled message. Tell her the real reason, you lying motherfucker. <sighs> oh, God, here we go. But the point being that she doesn't... She doesn't deal with anybody who might potentially challenge her. 
And that's I mean, like, fine. it's very, yeah, it's very significant that he is a plant because she technically could control him. Absolutely. Yeah. She's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but she's not going to grow as a person. She's not going to, again, it brings us back to this. She's a plant that's not growing. Yeah. She's not being given anything. She's like, she's fine. She's not bonsai. She's not being sort of controlled by anyone or else pruned, yeah. or pruned back, but she's also not being given space to thrive. One of the most it's significant... It's noticeable that when she's in Arkham, she looks like a kind of a wild oh, bush who's not even yeah. tending to herself. Yeah. But also slightly wilted because she doesn't have any space or air or light. Mm. Um, one of the first things that happens to Ivy as a result of the chaos element of Harley being introduced to her life The Harley is... and the Ivy when they are both full grown. <laughs> Say. Um... The apartment that she has been living in, which she has reached maximum capacity in, and enjoys and likes, but has to keep, has to behave in a certain way in order to maintain living there. Like a goldfish in a bathtub. Absolutely. That, uh, being able to do that is smashed apart, and she ends up in this old, abandoned mall, which is huge and gives her so much more space to to reach out and initially that she should turn it into a lush jungle like she should make that place look really floral absolutely which is what she does with the apartment but she's limited in terms of the space that she can do it with with the mall she has this this wild um overgrown area of potential Mm. that she is afraid to put her tendrils out into Mm. and as she As she goes through the series, she has multiple opportunities to do exactly that, but she keeps pulling back from them. And whenever she uh, talks to Kite Man, he's just, hey, babe, how's it going? You want to go out on a date with Kite Man? And just like, he's not horrendously arrogant, but he seems to think that he is, by the way, he's getting his own spin-off series. Yes. Yes. Because... Green light, green light. If it's for TV, green light it. Yes, yes, green light it. Yeah, that, that works so well for Netflix. There's no point throwing shit at a wall if you're not going to stick around long enough to see what sticks and what doesn't. The whole point of Kite Man, amusing though he is, is he's incredibly normal. Mm. He's incredibly regular. He's just a dude. He represents stability. He represents the opposite of Harley. She's chaotic. Anything could happen. And Ivy tells her over and over again. Like, she doesn't say, I'm kind of afraid, but that that length of, oh my God, you've done this now. She's very supportive to her friend, but it's clear there's something about Harley which scares Pamela. Absolutely. And in a lot of cases, she's right. But it is representative of the things that she is fearful of in herself. It's worth noting that, that iterations on Poison Ivy in the past have at some point often shown this is what happens when a woman with passion goes off the rails. And it almost feels like this version of Ivy is terrified that that might turn out to be true. The really weird episode with Ivy in Batman the Animated Series that we covered in our show on that was where she was masquerading in suburban domesticity. She was kind of the Audrey from... uh, (laughs) She has the Audrey 2, and she was trying to be the Audrey 1. And she's, you know, somewhere that's green, but specifically, she's playing Susie Homemaker, and Batman is so far out of his element, he's squatting on little suburban rooftops and watching her through binoculars and going, something's fishy going on here and then it turns out that her lovely husband and children boys are in fact p- 
pod people that she's growing and sending out as cactus men to do her bidding and rob things. It's so weird. But when she flies away at the end, she's looking through a photo album. One of the photos she looks at is Harley because they definitely had a rapport in that series. There's that kind of, I'm really bolted down and I'm really crazy and that kind of works together mm-hmm. and so they were they were definitely leaning into it there and almost immediately as soon as they meet each other they, they have that thing going yeah. in the Bruce Tim series mm-hmm. but she's also kind of looking back on the life that she had pretended to have for herself and feeling a little bit huh, some part of me actually kind of like that which is so strange when you look at what she actually wants for the world she wants us to stop trying to control, like to, to keep just drawing and drawing out of the environment and just taking and taking. She wants us to sort of let it run wild. But she herself wants to keep in a kind of quantifiable, like solid, stable state. Right. Okay. Now this is... She a, doesn't want overgrowth. This is a proper spoiler. Okay. So this would need to come after the... Well, no, you have to wait. Okay. You must wait for your pudding. Eat your broccoli first. That's what Ivy said. Mm. Actually, somebody asked a really good point. Why does Ivy eat plants? Why is she vegan? I mean, she's, in fact, no, she can't be vegan because she eats cob salad and that's got bacon and egg. Cob squad. Yeah. Um, but um, She also thinks, uh, I love it when um, Wonder Woman lassoes her at one point mm. and she says, I think that paper straws are stupid. It's <laughs> Vindication! Like, vindication. You're absolutely right. And I would like to see more... Uh, eco-activists saying this is a shitty half measure and it's made drinking things really hard yeah you know what you can make a plastic-like substance from biodegradable materials it is possible it's just not cheap harley even gives her at one point a metal straw with a straw cleaner you shove that thing up that straw Mm, indeed to my mind what she what she misses from the from what she thinks she's looking for and it actually makes kind of perfect sense to me she thinks that having this sort of domesticity will keep her safe and prevent her from going wild in actual fact having something which is more chaotic to bounce off makes her more bolted down. She is more sensible when she's around Harley. When she's around Kite Man, she's constantly trying, albeit that she doesn't realise that, to shake things up. Pushes boundaries. Because it doesn't feel natural to her. But you can't push Kite Man's boundaries. As soon as he starts to feel something that's slightly... This is a bit out of my field of expertise. He gets nervous. Mm, yeah. Hey, so uh, I don't really care either way, but what are the chances you have a four-top? Four top is restaurant speak. For a table for four people. Thanks. My little foodie. Yeah, it's a three hour wait, sorry. Oh. Um, babe, those people over there that look like a country club fucked a yacht club are waving at us. Charles, dear, over here. Mother, father, please meet the love of my life, Pamela. You didn't make a reservation. Mother, I am so sorry. Oh, God. I had to have the credit card company concierge read management the riot act. And we still got stuck here with the hoi polloi. Our usual booth was taken. Oh, you know what? Let me go talk to the manager. Good luck to her, I say. (laughs) Well, look at that. A booth just opened up. Pam, I must say, I like your style. Well... Shall we? If you'll excuse me, I'm just going to go wash my hands before we chow down. I love you. Our son getting married was a shock in and of itself, but to find out his fiance has 
actual superpowers. Our grandkids are going to have superpowers like us. Oh, you, so you guys have superpowers. Oh, sure. I can harness the power of cold, and this one has the old gift of flight. So you can imagine how disappointed we were when poor Charles was born. Powerless. Well, he has his kite. Ugh. Pamela, we want the best for our grandkids, and that is them having superpowers, not pretending to have them. And you're the answer to our prayers. Well, good. Oh, babe, you want to get frisky right here? Oh, what about the rents? Why do you let your parents treat you like shit? What am I supposed to do? They're, they're my parents. Let's do this again next week, Ivy darling. Don't worry, I already made a reservation so Charles needn't cloud his mind with simple tasks. <laughs> you know what? Fuck you guys. Beg your pardon? Yeah, I said fuck you. Because first of all, I'm the one who messed up the goddamn reservation. Okay, Chuck asked me several times not to forget because for some reason he cares about you two. And then he took the heat for it because he cares about me. And for some reason, what you two think about me. So yeah. He's a kind, loving, supportive partner. And the only miracle here is that you two ghouls somehow raised him. And another thing, he's not lucky to have me. I'm lucky to have him. So fuck off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I would have said, what the fuck? Why, did, you know, why is Kite Man getting a, a series? Why did Peacemaker get his own series? But apparently the Peacemaker series is really good. So... Yeah, anything could happen with Kite Man in the future, but I hope they make him not just the same character moving forwards. He needs growth. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely does. But the the thing that we said sort of early on in terms of uh, how is it that Ivy thinks she could go straight, I do like the fact that it's not presented... In terms of how her dynamic with Kite Man works and how her dynamic with Harley works... There's no attempt to pigeonhole it as, Ivy, who are you kidding? You're gay. But it is... You're gay, Ivy! Gay! Yeah, which would really have pissed me off. But it is, who are you kidding? This lifestyle is not for you. Which, again, super villainy as queerness metaphor. Mm. Okay, it feels like we're now getting into endgame material for season two. So we would best off be putting the spoiler music here. If you haven't seen it yet, go away, watch it, come back, and listen to the last bit, which is our assessment of the decisions made at the end of this season. One thing we didn't talk about much is that Joker ends up going through a very strange and unexpected arc in season two, which is actually very satisfying. We've seen Joker telling us that we live in a society, but it's very rare that we see the Joker experiencing growth even just a little, and Harley Quinn is the show to do that. Also, someone must have been listening to our Batman shows back in 2012, because there is a henchman agency in Harley Quinn. They will set you up with the goons that you need. They might even help with uh, screen printing t-shirts for whatever theme you're after. You know, you're the Penguin, give them tuxedo t-shirts. If you're Bane, perhaps the flag of Guatemala. And before we move on, I'm going to thank our $15 top tier sponsors. Obviously a massive thank you to everyone on our Patreon. But if you're at this level, you get a round of high fives every week. So don't leave me hanging, brother, to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, K 
Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Haskell, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Timu Hellas Hayo, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Endgame spoilers after this music breaks. It's the wedding of Ivy to Kite Man. And when I saw it the first time, it annoyed me. And then I forgot the specifics. So when I saw it the second time, it annoyed me again. And I remembered why it annoyed me the first time. (laughs) The way it's set up, Kite Man pops the question relatively early in season two. And Ivy says yes, but in a kind of a slightly non-committal, she was surprised that this actually, like she wasn't expecting this to to hit her. And because of all of the chaotic, crazy thing, like at this point, Gotham is as a post-apocalyptic war zone, like the uh, No Man's Land story that uh, sort of got loosely adapted into uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Well, it has, I mean, Gotham has at this point been removed from the United States. Annexed, yeah. I did the same thing uh, again. Seceded. Is, is it secession when they push you? Excluded. <laughs> um, they, they, they cut Gotham off and shoved it out to sea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so ultimately it actually makes perfect sense that amid all this chaos, Ivy would grip even tighter on the idea of something resembling a stable life. So when she goes to uh, eat with Kite Man's parents, and uh, it's one of the last roles that Jessica Walter had before she died, she and Tressa McNeil are hand-in-hand for Nightmare Moms. Oh, and Wendy Malick as well from BoJack. Hello, Buster. Here's the candy bar. No, I'm withholding it. I'll be in the hospital bar. You know, there isn't a hospital bar, Mother. This is why people hate hospitals. Everyone's laughing and riding and cornholing except Buster. I don't know who that is, and I don't care to find out. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. If that's a veiled criticism about me, I won't hear it, and I won't respond to it. I'll have the Ike and Tina tuna. Plater platter? I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it. If you're saying I play favorites, you're wrong. I love all my children equally. I don't care for Joe. Anyway, it's a party, and I want the whole family there. We're having a party? No. You're the one who charged his own brother for a Bluth frozen banana. I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? Ten dollars? You've never actually set foot in a supermarket, have you? I want to cry so bad. I don't think I can spare the moisture. Get me a vodka rocks. Mom, it's breakfast. And a piece of toast. Full of lies. Uh, Ivy stands up for Kite Man and tells them to fuck off because they're terrible parents and uh, treat their son with contempt, which impresses the hell out of Kite Man. And actually, he doesn't get nervous, to, to, to his credit. So honestly, at that point, I was like, it might not be the worst thing in the world for her to marry him. There's always divorce. But yeah, ultimately, she can get into this life and work out whether it's really fulfilling her or not. It's, it's not him that's the problem. It's the domesticity that he represents. We keep saying how, domesticity. Sorry. And the 
It's not him that's the problem. It's the... It's the traditional yeah. hetero lifestyle that he represents and how difficult she would find to push the boundaries of that once she was in it. He literally says, you know, just sitting on a couch, looking at our phones, watching Netflix, and it's like, you can't be doing both. <laughs> but that's what... That is the standard now. And he's just sort of looking forward to hours of that and he's worked out how many kids he wants. He's saying this as part of his vows. Uh, Jim Gordon does a last-ditch attempt to uh, to try to save some face in Gotham by springing this wedding and trying to arrest everybody there. Harley works it out, and the whole place erupts into absolute chaos. Cops shooting this way and that. Uh, uh, Supervillains flying this way and that. Heads being ripped off. Clayface singing his heart out. And Ivy and Kite Man get uh, dragged to safety by Harley, who says, I've been ordained as a, uh, uh, a minister online. I can marry you two right now. And what pisses me off is that at this point, strictly speaking, Kite Man should have said, you are a lifesaver. Thank you, Harley. And then said, right, we can just carry on with this. Like, all of this chaos that just happened, uh, but we can still get married, babe. And... Ivy needed to say, in my head, the way I would write it, do you know what happened when this whole wedding turned into a sudden bloodbath? I was relieved. A little part of me was like, I don't actually have to go through with this, which means there's a little part of me that is screaming that I need to stop this. I'm so sorry. Harley, I love you. Kite man, I am so sorry. But she doesn't. What happens is Kite Man goes, fuck you, to Harley quietly after she says she's become ordained as a minister because Harley fucking thinks and cares and Kite Man doesn't know shit about Ivy. He has talked about himself the whole fucking relationship. He doesn't listen or pay attention. And that should be the person that Ivy decides, you know what, actually, while you uh, represent stability, you also don't represent love. I don't love you, and you don't even really love me. You just like having me around. Yeah. Well, that the way he reacts to that situation, like you said, Harley going saying to him, and she she even amusingly explicitly says, "We're still in the location you wanted, just because it isn't quite as as you imagined." It. Uh, is it, it's it's more on fire than you would have hoped. Absolutely. But his reaction—he had to fight with the condiment king to get this place. He did. What the hell are you doing here? Oh, didn't you hear? You're not the only world famous villain engaged <laughs> in this town. I'm sorry, world famous. Come on, wedding venues are tough to come by in new new gotham and there's only one unbooked weekend left so it looks like you've got some competition from the condiment king <laughs> i'm not getting married in any place with a stink of condiments and i'm not getting married anywhere that reeks of kites oh yeah kites are odorless unless uh they do get wet or if you store them improperly i chuck we can do this wherever. I will not yield. Once the manager sees the biggest power couple in Gotham is in his presence and how sick our love is, he'll kick your ranch-loving ass all the way back to the Hidden Valley. It's gonna be tough to impress him with that stain on your suit. What, 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 what stain? There's no stain. That one! Technically, Ivy had to fight with the Condiment King. To Shit, seriously? He didn't even do it? He kind of tries, but Ivy has Frank eat him. Delicious. <laughs> well, he's all mustardy and ketchup so yeah, tasty. Mmm, burger sauce! <laughs> but the, the reaction that Kite Man has at that point indicates that it's the 
image of the wedding that's the important thing to him. Yeah. It's the lifestyle he's imagined that's important to him. It's the shape of the future he wants. And it, technically speaking, if you took Ivy out and replaced her with another girl, it would still work for him. Babe. I, I thought maybe I could do something right for once. If, oh, I just want you guys to be happy. Oh. Well, it's too late. Once again, everything is ruined. It doesn't have to be. A, hey, I'm an ordained minister. I got a license ah, online. Pretty legit, huh? So what do you think, huh? Can I marry you? Wow. <laughs> Harley with the backup plan. Oh, 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 good for you, Reverend. Fuck you. Listen, Kite Man, I know we are in the corn factory, but we're on the property. So technically, you can tell us weekly or whatever that you got married there. We can Photoshop some cakes later. It'll be great. <laughs> okay, let's do this. Hell no. What? I should have known the third time I proposed, every step in our relationship I've had to do over and over and over, and, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm not. After all of this, I'm not redoing my wedding. Don't you, don't you want to marry me? Of course I do, but you don't. I saw your face during the vows, and I knew your heart wasn't in it. I may be simple, but I'm not a fool. It is hard to finally admit it, but since you refuse to, I will. I'm not the person for you. No. Oh, shit. Like you said, Ivy, I deserve the best. On a side note, by the way, uh, Harley and Ivy kissed each other, then said, this is fine, we're not going to go there, it's, it's fine, we just, we're just friends who kissed accidentally. Then when they're on Harley's hen night, they fuck each other. Then we were drunk, we didn't know what we were doing. Then they do it again. And Harley says it was fantastic, it was orgasmic, but she understands and she steps away. And she is so ready to just let Ivy go. Not only let Ivy go, but actually ordain them and be the person who gives Ivy what she wants. This is true love. And Kite Man says, no, I've had to do this so many times. I can't be doing this anymore. Clearly, I deserve better. And then he flounces off. And it's like, dude, Ivy, Pamela, fuck you. <laughs> Seriously, you let this guy make your decision for you. You're left with Harley as your consolation prize. They drive away in a car together. It's fantastic. And the cops are chasing them. And it's like, well, it's going to be a muddled future. But Ivy hasn't made that choice. She's been left with Harley. And she's gone, I guess I can accept this. Now that's okay, because I trust that in this world, there is room for Ivy to actually make that step in her head and to actually grow to that place. She should have grown there by here. Fuck it, they got a whole extra third series. But I don't want to invest hope that they'll do that in this third series. I, I do get what Because you if they don't, I'm going to suddenly be like, what the fuck, guys? I think... It does, for me, reinforce the idea that Ivy is constrained by her surroundings and her environment, and she needs to be given the space first, and then she will grow. Which is why she should have said, I need to not be with anyone at this point. This is sounding bizarrely familiar. <laughs> Folks who read my books will know what I'm talking about. It weakens Pamela's character 
for her to just sort of accept this. Mm. It's like Rachel at the end of Friends mm. deciding, you know what? She gets given her dream job, but she has to leave all of you know New York behind. Everyone else is leaving anyway, but it also means leaving Ross behind. And she's got the kid, and she's going to go and into, stay and live in Europe and just have you know, be the person. The whole point of Rachel when she first turns up in episode one, I know this is incredibly white, incredibly straight TV, folks. Um, I apologize. But the whole point is that she's trying to make herself into a version of Rachel Green that she is proud of. That's episode one of Friends. And the last episode, when Ross should go, then I'm going with you. I will, I will do whatever it takes to stay with you. He should be Lloyd Dobler at that point and stop whining about himself. Instead, Rachel throws that in the trash and goes, I just couldn't leave you, Ross. Now I'm here for the long haul while you whine us into the grave. Fuck that ending of Friends. And Pamela deserved so much more over the course of her character than this being potentially the last thing she does or doesn't do. Because she doesn't do anything. She settles. Harley is able to let go and love without conditions. She's definitely broken the cycle of obsession she's been stuck in. Ivy needs work. And obviously, they did get a season three. It's out next week at the time of recording. But you can't have any guarantees with TV. Least of all, Warner Brothers TV. Remember when Warner Brothers had 27 superhero movies in the pipeline? I'm really sorry, Ivy. Look, Kite Man will come around. He always does. Yeah, but you know what? I won't. I mean, he's right. I, I've been denying a lot of myself for a long time. I guess I guess it seemed easier for me to just go along with it, you know? And But now I realize I heard a lot of people delaying the inevitable. Well, people change! Yeah, yeah, people do change. I mean, look at you. What you did for me today, you... You showed me the horrors I always wanted to see, you know? Well, you, you, don't, you don't think I'm chaotic and crazy and make a bunch of messes? No, you definitely do that, but... You're trying to grow and actually doing it. And that, I mean, for me, that's what matters. I love you, I've. I love you too, Harles. Am I being too harsh on Ivy? Or do you agree she should have been the one to stop the wedding? Let us know using spoiler text on the Discord. So that is Harley Quinn. I love the show. I now hadn't thought about it, but I'm afraid of what will not happen in season three. I guess we'll come back and find out. There's always a chance that a really satisfying ending, like the end of BoJack Horseman season four, will then lead on to a horrible ending, like the end of BoJack Horseman season five where the philosophy is, if you've done bad things, there is no redemption. So anybody who saw a little of themselves in Bojack, sorry to tell you, but you're broken forever. And there's nothing you can do about it. As far as I'm concerned, Bojack Horseman ended with that phone call at the end of season four. And the smile. I'm going to leave you on the end credits Harley Quinn music. Listen out for it. There's a bit that I love that I interpret as Harley stumbling and picking herself back up again. And I love that because the, the theme just runs pell-mell chaotically and it's like, yeah, she's Harley Quinn, da 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 But the stopping, stumbling and picking yourself back up again and carrying on 
is really why she has so much strength as a character. She can fuck up and fail and decide, you know what? This was a good idea. I just need to modify it until I stop doing the bad things. Also, big high five to the producers because they have an alternate credits ending for when something sad, sad has yeah. happened. Otherwise, you get W.G. Snuffy Walden going, this character has died. Are you fucking kidding the West Wing? Put a penny in the jar. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And woof woof! Blowing up Todd after dinner. Don't eat so much you get lethargic, but eat enough that you don't get fainty, because I do not bring snacks. Damien, I made your favorite. You didn't make that. Alfred made that. I made him make it. Oh, hi, everybody. Aww. Oh, my God, it's him! Why don't you go back to the ocean? Otherwise known as the world's toilet. <laughs> oh, so no ocean jokes. It seems like politically correct culture is killing the comedy. Is your card the three of hearts? No. Fuck. <laughs>